Lord, speak to me tonight. It's okay if you talk to the person next to me. But I need to hear something from you. Amen. Go ahead and sit down. We're going to be reading out of the book of Mark, the book of Mark. You guys got to be like, whoa, dude, Mark again, huh? Going to Mark one more time, I guess. I feel like the last like 60 messages we've had have been out of the book of Mark. Uh, it's a good book. Quite, You know, honestly, it's quickly replacing John as my favorite gospel. Um, yeah, and I really like John. So, I mean, for Mark to step up there and kind of take the lead is really quite an accomplishment for Mark. We're going to go to Mark chapter 10. If you're there, say amen. Y'all got there quick, man. All right. Mark chapter 10. We're going to start, I think we want to start in verse 17, okay? 17. As Jesus started out on his way, a man ran, ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Basically, this guy is coming up to Jesus and he's saying, what do I got to do to be saved? Okay. Jesus is a smart guy. He's a teacher. There's all kinds of people following him and listening to what he has to say. And this guy runs up behind Jesus as he starts taking off to go somewhere else. This guy runs up behind Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? Jesus responds this way. He said in verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Kind of little nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Uh, I'm God. You're saying I'm good. I'm actually God. And that's a declaration of Jesus being God. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Maybe some of you guys should underline that one right there. Honor your father and mother. Uh, and Hang on to that one. Hold on to it. Write it on the tablet of your heart. Amen. Verse 20. Teacher, he declared, this is the guy again. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's so important. If you, if you underline, if you highlight, if you, I, I color crayon, uh, I use color crayons. If you do anything to mark up your Bible so you remember an important part of the scripture, I want you to underline that section right there where it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, go sell everything you have and give, to, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. All things are possible. Amen. Let's just pray real quick. God, we thank you so much. Uh, just for the opportunity to be here. Uh, we thank you, God, that you are here. That, God, if it was just me up here talking, that then it's pretty much a waste of a Wednesday night. But, God, we're going to listen to the Holy Spirit today. We're going to listen to you tonight. And we're going to be taught not by a man and not by his wisdom or anything like that, but literally by the Spirit of God. It's going to come alive. It's going to bring the Word of God alive to us and speak to us. God, we pray for your purpose to be fulfilled your presence to be felt, and for your people to be freed. And we thank you, God, and we pray for the Lakers this Friday, that, God, they would be able to continue 
what they started last night in their goal and in your plan to win the 2010 NBA title. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. All right. If you guys are taking notes, I encourage you to take notes. We'll talk about it later. If you guys are taking notes, and I encourage you to take notes, I want you to write on the top of your notes. This is the title of tonight's message. This is what we're going to be talking about. The title of tonight's message is One Thing. One Thing. One Thing. See, we read about this guy as he approaches Jesus, and he comes up to Jesus, and Jesus declares all these things and says all this stuff to him. And the guy says, I do that. And Jesus says, you're missing one thing. Thing. Now, how many of you guys in your lives have ever experienced, and I know the Taylor kids should be amen and hallelujah to this when I explain it, uh, you've experienced where you try really, really hard, and you work as, as, as much as you can, and you do your absolute best to set up Maverick's new sandbox, and you do, you do everything you can. And you give it, you give it everything. You try everything. You give it all of your effort. And in all of your effort and in everything that you do, it's just not good enough. Has anybody experienced this in my life? See, because maybe it's just the way that me and my parents interpret a clean room. Uh, maybe it's just, it's just, it's just a different way that we kind of understand. And when I look at my room, I saw it clean, but apparently when my parents looked at my room, it was not clean to them because apparently laundry was not sorted by being thrown into a pile at the foot of my bed, but I know where it's at. Okay. I know where it's at. I start hanging stuff up. It's true to this day. I will be looking for a coat for like two or three weeks, right? And I'm looking everywhere. I'm searching my office. I'm digging through my car. I'm trying to find this coat where I can't find it anywhere. And only to learn that my wife hung it up and put it in the closet for me, right? Like, but have you ever done something where you tried and you just gave it your best effort? You just gave it everything you had. And all of a sudden you go to show somebody what you did and they're like, oh, well, if it was me, this is what I would do. It, you give it everything you got. Like, I can go home, and I can put the dishes away, and I, can, and I can sort the laundry, and I can hang up the clothes, and I can vacuum the floor, and I can mop the floor in the kitchen and the bathroom. And, it, and then I forget to sweep the floor, but I, so I go back, and I sweep the floor and mop the floor again, and I can, I can vacuum off the couch cushions. I could give every single bit of effort that I've got to clean our house. But if the one thing that my wife wants me to do is clean the toilet, none of that really matters. Because the one thing that she wants done is to have the toilet clean. And see, some of us put all this energy and all this effort into a lot of different things. And we try as hard as we can to accomplish a lot of things. And we try our best to please God by fulfilling the Ten Commandments, by trying to do everything that our, that our pastor tells us to, and we've grown tired and we've grown frustrated because we're, we're, we're struggling with many things, but we have not focused on the one thing. We, we, we put all of our energy and effort into all of these things that essentially really don't matter and don't change us. We are going to learn about the one thing tonight. The one thing that is important 
in our relationship with Jesus in finding righteousness. I want to break down this story real quick. This guy comes up to Jesus, throws himself, he's on his knees at Jesus, and he says to Jesus, Lord, what do I need to do to be saved? What is it that you require? What is it that I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do? What's it going to take? What's it going to cost me, Jesus? We find out later that the guy's rich, right? So he comes up to Jesus and he's like, what is it really going to cost me to be saved? What's the cost involved? And Jesus looks at him and he doesn't necessarily list all of the commands, but he lists uh, some of the commands. He says, you know the commands. He says, you understand what, what the law requires. You know what you're supposed to do. Honor your father and mother. And he, Jesus goes through and he lists off a couple of the commands. And the guy looks at him and he says, Jesus, I've done this since I was a boy. I've been doing this stuff since I was little. I mean, I, I do that. That's good. If, is that what it takes? Because that's good. I do that. And some of us, sometimes we think that because we do the Ten Commandments, we're set and we're safe. So here's this guy. He comes up to Jesus. He says, what do I got to do to get eternal life? And Jesus lists off these things. And the guy says, sweet. I do that. We're set. We're good. What, what's, what, that's awesome. I do that, Jesus. I do that. And some of us are in a position in our lives right now where we feel pretty good about our relationship with God. Like, we, we're in a good spot with God. And I think one of the major struggles and one of the major problems is when we feel like we're in a pretty good relationship with God. Because when we feel like we're doing pretty good with God, we stop pursuing him. We stop pursuing our relationship because we're, we're pretty good right now. We, we're, we're set at this moment. We're, we're good. Me and God, we're, we're tight. We, me and God, we just, I, I, I read my Bible and I pray, and me and God, we're good. And here's this guy and he's saying, look, I do that stuff, Jesus. I, I do what you're asking me to do. And I love how Jesus doesn't just straight up tell this guy he's a liar to his face. Because seriously, the Bible says that there is no one who pursues God. There's no one righteous. There's, there's no one that deserves it. There's no, one that does what, there's no one that fulfills the law. And the Bible says that. But Jesus, when this guy comes up to him, he's asking for, what do I got to do to be saved? And Jesus says, do this. And the guy says, I do that. And Jesus really could have just been like, liar. <laughs> Jesus could have just been like, dude, you are lying to my face right now. There is no way that you do everything written that you're supposed to do in the law. There is no way that you fulfill and accomplish all of the commands. You don't do it. It's not possible. You have not done that. And when this guy comes up to Jesus, Jesus does it just straight. Dude, you're lying to me. Why are you lying to me? And I think the reason why Jesus doesn't do that is because, to be perfectly blunt and perfectly honest, they're not really that big of a deal. Like, we get all scared and worried about the law. For those of you guys that are new or something here tonight, the law is basically the first five books of the Old Testament. The Israel, Thank you. The, the Israelites, essentially, this was their guide to life, and this is everything that was written in this. This is how you're supposed to live your life. And there are all these commands and all these things that they were supposed to do. And i got to be honest with you. In the day that we live in, in the day that Jesus is ministering, Jesus is ministering about a time of grace. And to be perfectly honest with you, this is a dangerous thing to say to young people. This is a dangerous thing because 
Jesus is not that concerned with whether or not you fulfill the law. Y'all are like, what? So wait, I can listen to secular music? I can, I, can watch, I can watch whatever movies I want? I can do whatever I want? Jesus is not that worried about it. We'll get into why in just a second. But, but here's this guy, and Jesus doesn't call him out. Jesus doesn't say, you're a liar. Jesus is just like, okay, okay. So here's this guy. He feels like he's in a pretty good relationship with God. And I think that our American society and our American culture, at least for the church attenders, most would feel like they're in a pretty good relationship with God. This guy didn't recognize his actual position when it came to the righteousness and the holiness of God. See, because we serve a holy God. We talk about a holy God. We preach a holy God. And here's this guy, and he doesn't really recognize what his position actually is. We are in a country that does not recognize their position to a holy God. Our country is sinful and in sin, but we, we don't recognize that. That's why it's possible. See, if we, if we recognize where we really are with God, if we recognize what our relationship is really like with God, then we would re- realize and, and we would understand John 3, 16, then when it says, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world because the world was condemned already. And see, so many people will mock John 3.16. We see it at football games. We see it at wrestling. Anybody been to a wrestling uh, thing recently? We see it at wrestling matches. We see it at all kinds of things where, where the world is mocking possibly one of the greatest scriptures of love in, in, in the entire Bible. Probably one of the greatest descriptions of love that we can find in the entire world, and yet the world mocks it. Because if you don't understand where you are, the love of God really doesn't mean anything to you. If you don't recognize that you're in sin and that you are condemned and you are going to hell without God, then to be honest with you, I say, Jesus loves you. That means really nothing to us. But when we recognize where we really are, what we really deserve, what we've really earned, then when somebody says Jesus loves you and he died for you so that you could be made righteous so that you could be saved so that you wouldn't have to go to hell that means a little bit more that carries a little more weight when we understand where we're at so here's this guy comes up to jesus he's like what do i got to do to be saved what do i got to do jesus doesn't call him on the carpet jesus doesn't say you're a liar sometimes we come to jesus with an attitude of i'm doing it right so I think this guy kind of came to Jesus already knowing that the commands were something that he needed to have taken care of. And sometimes we come to Jesus with an attitude that we're already doing it right. We just want to get Jesus' permission on it. It's amazing how many times people will already have decided the decision they want to make, and yet they'll come to the pastor and be like, hey, pastor, this is what I want to do. What do you think about that? And then the pastor tells them something that they don't like, and they're like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know where I come from. You don't know what my family situation is. You don't know what my story is. So you, you're, you, you can say that, but if you really understood why I'm making this decision, then, then, then you would understand. But you don't understand, so I, I'm just going to do this anyways. This guy didn't come to Jesus in a sense of pride. Mark records this. Not, this is why I chose to read the one out of Mark instead of the one out of Luke. But Mark records this, and Luke doesn't. Mark records the fact that this guy came to Jesus on his knees. 
Now hear what I'm saying. A lot of people will take this guy and this example of this rich young man and they'll say he was prideful. He was arrogant and he came to Jesus. He was arrogant. He was prideful. He, he wanted to come to Jesus, talk to Jesus, and get himself justified by Jesus. But I, I don't believe that. The guy comes to Jesus and drops to his knees and said, God, what does it really take to be saved? And I think that's a question that all of us could really use answer tonight. What does it really take to be saved? And so Jesus answers this guy. See, we, we think, oh, see, he's prideful. He, he's arrogant. I, I believe this guy had been doing those commands that Jesus listed. He'd been doing those things, and he'd grown tired and weary and burnt out and worn out by trying to fulfill the law. And so he comes to Jesus, and he says, God, what's it really going to take? What's, what's it really going to cost me? What, is it, what am I really going to have to do to be saved? The one thing that, I love, I love this because Jesus says, you still lack one thing. And then he mentions three things. Anybody else catch this? You lack one thing, but then he goes off on three things. He says, he says first of all, sell everything you have. Then secondly, he says, give it to the poor. And then the third thing that he says for this guy to do is, follow me. Now get the picture with me, if you will. This guy comes to Jesus. He comes to him, drops to his knees, says, Jesus, what does it take to be saved? We find out in a couple of verses that the man is very rich. He's very wealthy. And because of that, he doesn't want to follow Jesus. And he comes to Jesus. And just picture this with me, if you will. He's got money in his hands as he's coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, what is the real price to be paid? What is the real cost for salvation? What does it really take to be saved? And Jesus says to him, get rid of the money. He says, do the commands. And the guy says, I do the commands. I got, I got the commands. Me and the commands are down. We, I, I do the commands. I do that. I do that. That's, I do the commands. And Jesus says, okay, drop the cash and follow me. See, because as much as he had and as much as he had going for him, the one thing that he did not have was a pursuit after Jesus. The one thing that we need in our lives is Jesus. And so Jesus tells this guy, and just picture it with me if you will, he's got his money in his hand, what's it cost, what's it going to take, and Jesus says, what you need is me. But you can't hold on to me while you're holding on to your wealth. Because if you are defined by anything besides Jesus, you're not really pursuing Jesus. See, I, I've, I've tried in the last, really, six months of my life to say that I want to be defined as a follower of Jesus. A lot of times I was defined as a Laker fan. A lot of times I was defined as a sports guy, as an athlete. A lot of times I was defined as the funny one. But you guys are like, dude, what? He's funny? <laughs> oh my gosh. Sometimes. Just funny looking, maybe. Be... But I decided in the last six months that the one thing that I want to be defined as, the one thing that I want people to say about me, if they say, hey, you know Pastor G, I know Pastor G. Hey, I know G, what's going on? Yeah, I know G, yeah, man, he's that, he's that Christian guy. He, he's that guy that follows Jesus. He's that guy that actually does what the Bible says. He's that, he's that guy that loves Jesus, and you can see it in every way of his life. 
See, it would have been very easy for somebody to say, oh my goodness, G loves the Lakers. He talks about them all the time. And John Farger may not have noticed this, but in the last three months or so, anytime I come into the office and he's in there before me, which is pretty often because the guy shows up way too early for work, we start conversations. We used to start conversations about sports and the Blazers and what I thought about was going on, what I thought about the Cowboys, how I hated them. But in the last three months or so, we have started conversations about the Bible and what we're reading in our devotions and what God is speaking to us through podcasts. But, but we start talking about the Bible. Why? Because it's easy to be defined by a lot of different things, but I want in my life to be defined by Jesus, because Jesus is the one thing in your life that really matters, really makes a difference. Jesus is the one thing you need if you want to be righteous. Jesus is the one thing you need if you want to go to heaven. It will not come by fulfilling the law. It will not come by doing all the commandments. It will not come by reading your Bible. It will not come by praying every single day. It will come by one thing and one thing only, Jesus Christ, and that's it. So this, <coughs> this guy comes up to Jesus, and I just love, like, if I could have been there to see the expression on this guy's face as Jesus says, well, you're doing, you're doing that's good, you're doing a lot of good things there, but the one thing that you need is me. And can you see the cockiness and the grin on Jesus's face? Is me. I mean, can you imagine it with me? That Jesus is like the one thing that you need in your life. That's me. Like we have cheesy pickup lines where we're talking to girls and we're like, man, I feel everything you need, baby. What's, what's it going to be? But this is essentially what Jesus is saying. He's saying the one thing that you need is me. It's me. And the amazing thing about Jesus is he never lied. So when he says that the one thing you need is me, he was serious. He's saying, look, you can do all this stuff. You can pursue all these things. You can go after all this different stuff. But the one thing that you need is me. And this guy comes to Jesus and Jesus tells him, get rid of everything you have in your hands because what you have in your hands is stopping you from being able to grab a hold of me. And so he, he, he tells this guy this, and it says that the guy hung his head and walked away. He went away sad because he was very rich. And I'm just curious, and maybe a question you need to ask yourself tonight, what are you holding on to that is keeping you from pursuing Jesus. What is it in your life that you won't let go of that stops you from truly pursuing after Jesus? See, some people, it's sports. Some people, it's that they're a fan for something. They're a, they're a fan for their team. Some people, it's relationships, whether friendships or romantic relationships, either one. For a lot of people, it's sin, and there's sin that you don't want to let go of. And because of that, you because you won't let go of that sin, you can't grab a hold of Jesus. See, what are you defined by? Some of us are much, much, much. That's not proper English, is it? Some of us are way too 
busy for God. And that's, that's a very scary place to be. And I don't, I'm not trying to say this from a, from a position of pride or condemnation or anything like that, but understand something. See, some of us get involved in dramas and plays, and we don't show up at church anymore. Some of us get involved in sports and things, and we don't come to church anymore because of sports. And some of us, some of us have all these things that we're into that literally we don't have time for God. And I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. What I'm saying is this. What are you pursuing after? I had a very candid conversation with one of our staff members earlier today, and I'll keep his name private. It's not like he confessed anything like real major sin or anything to me, so don't worry about that. But, but I said, we, when we have an opportunity to experience God, and, and we don't do that, we don't go after that opportunity because we have something else in our schedule, or we were planning on something else. We don't even try and make it work. We don't even try and make it happen. I said, I think we're in a very dangerous place in our relationship with God. When there's an experience and a chance to be with God, and we just kind of like, ah, some other time. That's a very scary place to be. See, some of us are like, oh, you know, know, it's not that important for me to be at church on Sunday because there's a football game. Well, that tells me that that football game to you is more important than God. Well, the Lakers are in the playoffs, so, I mean, you don't really expect me to to be at church on Wednesday night, do you, Pastor G? I mean, Lakers, playoffs. This, This is the playoffs. Playoffs? You know what, Pastor G, I, 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 totally, I totally want to go to church, but I got so much stuff going on with this play that I'm going to be in. And I, I just can't make it to church without being harsh or without trying to be condemning. Understand something. You really need to look at yourself and find out who your God is. And I'm not saying that if you choose to be in a play or something like that, that you're not serving God. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you better be able to look at yourself, know within yourself, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and understand that you really are putting God first, that he still is the Lord of your life. Because there are things that we hold on to that will stop us from being able to grab a hold of Jesus. There are things that we, that we are so enwrapped in and so busy with that we don't have any time for God. And it's a very dangerous place to be. It's a really scary place to be in your relationship. So I, I really like, this isn't, I mean, this may not be for everyone here. This may be for some. I caution you. I warn you to really be able to look at your life, look at your relationship with God, and make sure that Jesus is the number one pursuit of your life. Because he is the one and only thing in which you will find salvation. You will not find it in works. You won't find it in the commands. You won't find it in reading your Bible. You will find it in Jesus Christ and him alone. Go with me to the book of Luke. The book of Luke, chapter 10. Jesus is like, drop your money so you can grab on to me. And this guy's like, no, not interested. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. 
She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the other preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And I love the NIV throws that exclamation point in there because like you can now feel the intensity of Martha as she says this to Jesus because it's not like, come on, God, will you just talk to her? She's like, God, tell her to help me. Have you guys ever been around somebody, you're working, you're doing your thing, and you look over and the other people that are supposed to be working with you aren't working? And you're just like, are you kidding me, man? Somebody needs to get over there and rip them and tell them they ought to be helping me. No, let's not bring up the sandbox again. Tell her to help me. And Jesus says this, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing, only one thing, one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha is doing everything she can do to get her house put together. She, she's doing everything that she can do to get her everything kind of cleaned up and looking right and looking nice and everything going right in her life and everything set up. And so when God comes in, that God's proud of her and she's got everything going. She's trying her best to fulfill the Ten Commandments. She's doing her best to live the life. And she sees her sister hanging out at the feet of Jesus and she gets mad. Like, dude! That's not fair. How come she doesn't have to work too? And a lot of the times in church, and not necessarily a religion, because religion, biblically defined, is actually a really good thing, but, but tradition of men and things like that, a lot of the times when we find ourselves in, in a tradition or, in, or in, a, in a religious system, a lot of the times we find ourselves looking at what everybody else is doing or not doing compared to what we're doing or not doing. And Jesus says, it's not about what you do, it's about what I do. It's not about how great you are, it's about how great I am. Because if it's about your greatness, then you get the glory. If it's about my greatness, then all the glory goes to me. And so she's freaking out, she's like, man, I'm doing all this stuff, I'm doing all this work, I'm doing everything to get everything put together. And she's just sitting there. Hanging out with Jesus. I want to sit and hang out with Jesus, but I'm too busy. I got really high pitch there, man. Wow. I want to hang out with Jesus, but I gotta, but I gotta set up the walls. I want to hang out with Jesus, but but I I, I gotta do my homework. I got I want to hang out with Jesus, but I gotta do this stuff. I gotta take care of my business. I gotta do my job. I gotta make sure everything that's my responsibility is taken care of. And here's Mary. Just annoying, puncher-in-the-face Mary. You ever meet, like, people that recently got saved? And they're just like, well, I don't really know. I just love Jesus. And you're just like, no, you listen, you, gotta, you got stuff to do. You got business to take care of. Like, we preach this gospel that is Jesus' love and acceptance and grace, and we preach this gospel, and we say that God loves you, and all you need is Jesus, but then all of a sudden, somebody gets saved, they answer the altar call, and it's almost like by the time they get to the back door, we're like, all right, man, here's the, here's the crash course on what Jesus is really about. you got to read your Bible every single day. And don't you dare miss a day, because if you don't read your Bible, you'll go to hell. 
You got to pray every single day. You got to be at youth church every single week. If you miss one week, I don't know. It's between you and God, but hope you like fire, boy. I don't know. What happens to our faith? What happens to the grace? What happens to the love of Jesus in our lives? When we come up and we got new Christians who are saying, man, I don't know what to do. I just know that I love Jesus. And we're like, well, I'll tell you what to do. You get your stuff together. You take care of business. You got to do this. I'll, I'll give you a list of everything you need to do. Don't you dare miss the men's retreat. Because if Jesus comes back at the men's retreat and you're not at the men's retreat, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just saying, I mean, and they're just trying to love Jesus. What happens to our faith? What happens to our relationship that we reach this point where we feel like we can obtain and catch righteousness on our own? Our righteousness is based on one thing and one thing alone, the work of Jesus and our relationship with him and us putting our faith and our trust in Jesus. Nothing else matters when we put our faith in Jesus. See, we try and act like righteousness is something we can catch. But literally, righteousness, who's, who's probably driven in the fastest car in this room? Who, my wife is raising her hand. She's going to say Mazda MPV. Who's, let's hear a couple. Let's hear a couple. Ford Carrera? Porsche. Okay. I'm, I'm, Firebirds. Got the Porsche. has got you beat. Anybody else? Brittany? 93 Plymouth Colt. Yeah, that might be up on the top. My, my wife's going to say Mazda MPV. Minivan. Dylan. 69 Mustang. All right, so I don't know enough about cars to know which one's faster. But let's just say this. We throw righteousness in the trunk of a Porsche, and we let Corey Early drive that Porsche. So righteousness is in the trunk. Corey's driving. And you say, all right, I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be righteous. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to be righteous. And I'm like, all right, righteousness in the trunk. And you're like, okay, Corey gets to drive righteousness in that car. What do I get? You know, what, what am I driving? What you got for me? And I hand you a pair of roller skates. Ready? Yellow light, green light. Slow down! That's what it's like trying to catch righteousness on our own. We're going to try. We're going to sweat. We're going to make it happen. We're going to tie those straps on those roller skates. We're going to tie them tight, and we're going to make righteousness happen. But we can't catch righteousness by ourselves. But the Bible says this, that the Lord's arm is not too short to save. So that means this. You're standing here with Jesus. Corey's in the Porsche. You got your skates on. You're ready to go. Corey takes off, and Jesus just reaches out and grabs him by the bumper and pulls righteousness right back to where you are. You can never be more righteous than the day you accepted Jesus. You can never be more worthy than the day you accept Jesus. And the only thing that will keep you in a state and in a life of righteousness is continuing to pursue a relationship with Jesus. Because here's Martha. 
And she's doing all kinds of stuff. She's, she's got her skates on, and she's, oh, I'll get there. I'll get there. I'll get there. I'll make myself right. I'll get the preparations ready. I'm going to do it. And Jesus is like, you're worried about way too much stuff. Sit here at my feet and listen to me. Sit here with me. Have a relationship with me. That's the one thing. That's the one thing that matters in our relationship. Can't catch. She's getting all frustrated, all mad at her sister. Like, I just want to punch her, Jesus. It's not fair. The reason that we can't catch righteousness and the problem with us and the reason why we'll never be able to is because we have sin in our lives. And the problem with sin is this. It's, it's really tricky. Like, sin doesn't come up to us and be like, hey, I'm sin. I'm here to kill you. I'm here to destroy your life. Sin comes up to us. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is kind of a bad example because it's kind of 60s, but 50s, 40s, I don't know. But sin comes up to us, greased back hair, leather jacket, white T-shirt, Converse. Sin comes up to us all geeked up, looking good, acting fun. Sin comes up to us wearing trendy clothes. Sin comes up to us as a hot girl in the mall. Sin, sin comes up to us and, and doesn't let us know I'm sin. I'm here to kill you. It's not that simple. The Bible was written so that we would know what sin is. The Bible was written because sin is deceptive. Sin wants to make you think that it doesn't really matter. Whatever website I visit, it doesn't really matter. It only affects me. What, what, however I spend my time, it doesn't really matter. It only affects me. I can, I can have sex with these guys because it, it just really, it only affects me. And sin comes up to you wanting to kill you. It wants you dead. It wants to destroy your life. But it's not going to tell you that. You're like, come here, man. Weed's fun. Try it out. It's not illegal in Eugene. <laughs> sin comes up to you and says, man, it's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a good time. But sin wants you dead. Sin wants you six feet under in the ground. But the problem that we have, I think, in churches is if sin is the problem, and let me say this, sin is such a problem that even Barack Obama can't change it. That's not a knock on Barack Obama. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying he can't do it. Sin is such a problem that whether you're Republican or Democrat, whoever you vote for, can't change it. See, our solution that we come up with as men and as in human beings is we think if sin is the problem, then we'll stop sinning. And that'll be the solution to the problem. But the solution to the problem of sin is Jesus Christ and him alone. 
He is the only one who came to earth, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and took our infirmities and our shame and our pain on the cross. And it is Jesus Christ and him alone that is the solution to sin. See, practical application is good. And a lot of times when we have a message, I've got three points. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. Those are all good things. But understand something, that if you read your Bible, because that's what we said in a message you're supposed to do, that will not make you more righteous. If you pray every single day of your life, it will not make you more righteous. If you don't listen to secular music, if you don't watch rated R movies, makes you no more righteous in the sight of God. The only thing that we have and the only thing that we can run to is Jesus Christ and him alone. And I'm not trying to pick on Casey. I love you. But Casey said something that, and you didn't, I'm, I'm not trying to mess with what you said, okay? I agree with everything Casey said. It's in the Bible, okay? I just want to take a different view on that scripture tonight. Is we say that faith without works is dead. But I'd like you to understand something. Works without faith is just as dead. If you're working and trying your best and trying your hardest, but it's not out of a relationship and a desire to be with Jesus, then your works mean nothing. They are as filthy rags to God. That basically translated means tampons. In the crudest and most accurate sense. That that your works mean absolutely nothing to God. They do not make you more righteous. But when we pursue Jesus, we're righteous. See, if we read our Bible just for righteousness sake, it doesn't make us any more righteous. When we read our Bibles to pursue Jesus, we get to know Jesus better. We don't become any more righteous. We don't become any more holy. We don't become any more deserving. We just get to have a better relationship with the Lord and Savior who died for us. And that is the one and only motivation for what we do. So that we can be drawn closer to him and so that he can be lifted up in our world. If we do it for any other reason, it means nothing. Jesus is the one thing that we need to find acceptance forgiveness, and salvation. Paul said this, I will boast in Christ. I will boast in the cross and the cross alone. See, I essentially have one message every single week. Jesus. That that is the only thing worth saying. If I say anything that does not point you to Jesus, then it's not worth saying. If I say anything that is not designed to give us a better uh, relationship and understanding of who Jesus is, then what I'm saying is worthless. Because the one thing worth preaching in the entire world and the one thing worth declaring in your schools and the one thing worth saying at your jobs and the one thing worth repeating with your friends is the name of Jesus Christ and him alone. That's it. We follow the law and we do works because we desire Jesus to be lifted up. 
We desire Jesus to get glory. Go to Psalms chapter 27. This is the last verse we're going to read. Psalms chapter 27. This is uh, King David. Understand this. King David. The thing that is said of him that I think is so interesting is that it says that David was a man after God's own heart. And a lot of the times we talk about in church and in stuff, we talk about how your desires will line up with Christ's desires. And that's basically, that's David. That's, that's what he was all about. Him and God wanted the same thing. They desired the same thing. And this is what David says he wants more than anything in the entire world. Watch this. Starting in verse 4, one thing. One thing. Underline it, circle it, color crane it. One thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. David, the, the guy that we look to and we say, man, that was a man of faith. That was a man of God. He had a man after God's own heart. Not a perfect man. Not a man that always fulfilled the law. Not a man that always did it right. But a man who said, the one thing that I want is to gaze upon Jesus. The one thing that I desire is a better relationship with Jesus. The one thing that I need is for God to be lifted up in my life. The one thing that I want more than anything else in the entire world, and this is a guy who had riches, he had power, he had strength, he killed Goliath, he had fame. And he said, the one thing that I want is God. The one thing that I want is to gaze upon his beauty. The one thing I want is to have a relationship with him. Verse 5 says the result of this desire of David's. For in the day of the Lord... He will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. David says this, my desire is for Jesus because I know that when all those hard times come, when all the struggles come, when sin tries to destroy me, when sin tries to deceive me, I know that my desire for a relationship with God, because of that desire to be with Jesus, God will set me on a high rock. He'll protect me. He'll take care of me. See, if we pursue Jesus, he'll take care of everything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Amen. Can you all bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to take a moment for us to reflect and think on the things that were said tonight. And I think it, it's scary to be in church and to spend a lot of time in church because we can become so accustomed to God and His presence that we begin to take it for granted. And because the presence of God is there every Wednesday night, the presence of God is always there at camps, the presence of God is always there with me, we don't pursue Jesus anymore. 
So we find ourselves in a state of guilt and shame because of our sin. Can I tell you that Jesus died for that shame? He died for that guilt. He died and he took your consequences on his body. So I will bear the burden for them. But we've been in church long enough that we know what it takes. We know what we got to do. We got to read our Bibles. We got to pray. We got to be at your church. We got to go to men's retreat. We got to do all this stuff. But the reality is this anything that you do that is not out of a motivation and a heart to be in a better relationship with Jesus and to lift him up is worthless. If righteousness could be gained by fulfilling the law, then Christ died in vain. Then his death meant nothing. If you could just tie up those laces and skate after and actually catch righteousness, then Jesus died for nothing. But we find ourselves in church. So accustomed and so used to everything we're supposed to do that we begin to pursue righteousness and we stop pursuing Jesus. That we begin to pursue the commands and stop pursuing Jesus. It's just him. He's the only one. There is no other. If you're here in this place and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it is an incredible opportunity. He loves you so much. More than I could even express or, or describe, he loves you so much. And he desires to have a relationship with you. You cannot do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to deserve it. He offers it to you as a gift. saying, I will give you eternal life. If you're here in this place and tonight is your night to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe it's the first time, maybe it's the 500th time, but you know that tonight you're not in a good spot in your relationship with God, you don't know what would happen if you died tonight, whether or not you go to heaven or hell, then tonight is a night to get your life right. If there's anyone in this place, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. Anyone in this place, I see that hand. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Just couldn't put it up and put it down. Anyone else? Anyone else? My second question is this. Do you find yourself pursuing Jesus? It's real easy to listen to a message and to say, okay, I'll deal with that later. I'll pray about that before I go to bed. But right now there's a special anointing that will literally break the bondage of tradition and religion and doing good works to gain righteousness to where you can have a relationship with Jesus, where you're no longer tired trying to fulfill the law, but you desire to please your Lord and Savior. And it's almost as if our salvation has gone bad. Our salvation has rotted. And we're trying to find acceptance, redemption, salvation through Jesus, or through works and through what we do. As if we had anything to offer Almighty God. If you're here in this place, and you say, you know what? 
may not be in death. I'm not in a horrible state and sin. I don't, I don't got some huge confession to make. But the reality is this, is I've been pursuing other things. I've been holding on to other things. And I have not been pursuing my relationship with Jesus. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Amen. I see that hand. 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 Anyone else? Just put it up and put it down. I see that hand. Anybody else? That this is for you tonight. This, this was what God had for you tonight. Because he desires it so bad. He wants it so bad. And some of us have been in church for so long that we don't even realize it anymore. I just got to take care of my business. I just got to do my thing. I just got to do it right. I just got to make it happen. It's not about making it happen. It's about having a relationship with the one who already did it. Anyone else? Amen. I see that hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. I'm going to ask everyone to stand real quick. And if the staff would come forward, if you raise your hand for either one of those questions, I encourage you to come up tonight and get prayer. There's a special anointing that will bring freedom right here in this place. There were several, several hands that went up. And if you were one of those people, I encourage you, come up and get prayer from one of the staff members. God, we love you. We thank you. You are a good, holy, faithful, amazing, trustworthy God. And God, I pray that in this time and in this moment, that our hearts and our affections would be set to you. That God, we would no longer try and earn anything, but we would trust in you and in what you've done, in what you've accomplished. We just thank you, Jesus, and love you. In Jesus' name.